Yeah, your mental matters, mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters, yo. Your mental matters ain't a simple pattern. We need to have a central chatter. Food for thought, grab a platter. My mental ain't for rental. I'm a central man, it's simple. I'm a ripple in the rip though. I don't wanna sick my ship, so gotta know your mental. Black life is hard, I don't resent though. Feelings really real, we should present those. Talk about it, you should know your mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters, yeah. everyone. I am Dr. Bridget Leonard, better known as Dr. B. And tonight we have a special treat for you. We are talking about raising our Black sons in 2021. Let's talk grown folk style. I have an awesome, awesome panel lined up for you. You know, I know that you've probably been catching some of my other shows and you saw a lot of females on the stage, but I wasn't going to do that to you this evening. So I went and grabbed me some mail so that we can get this male perspective so we can get these boys raised into the men that they need to be in order to carry on our um, generations. So I just want to go around the room real quick and make some slight introductions. Let's start with you, Mr. Richard. Good evening. Hello, everyone. My name is Richard Winfrey. I am a mental health advocate and a co-host of the Mental Matters Podcast. You can find us at www.mentalmatterspod.com. Thank you. Ms. Vincina. Hey, everybody. My name is Vincina Person, and I'm a self-love coach and self-love advocate. And you can find me at www.vincinaperson.com. Um, on all social media platforms. Thank you, Mr. Keith. Hey, how you doing guys? I am Keith K.L. Belvin, crisis specialist and author. And I am a person that deals with crisis strategies. I work with families, women, children, men, and I am the owner of bravenpublishing.com and bravenconsultant.com. And I'm here to help. Thank you so much, Ms. Leah. Good evening, everyone. My name is Leah Mills Chapman. I am a clinical therapist. Um, I currently own my own practice, um, Intervene LLC, and you can find me at intervene.com. Um, all of my contact information is present there. Dr. B, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part this evening. Thank you so much. And last but not least, the man with the fur collar, Mr. Otis. Appreciate the invite. Otis Bellinger, founder and director of the Building Better Man program and the um, owner of the Building Better Man Counseling Services, LLC. And um, I do not subscribe to hunting animals. I just want you to know that. That's okay. All right. 
Sorry, you guys that are out there um, on the stage, out there in the audience. We just had to pick with um, Otis. Today was one of Michigan's warmest days, and he decided to come with the fur collar. So we just had to pick with him, starting off a little light because we're about to get into some heavy stuff here. I just want to kick it off. I just want to ask one question, and it's kind of piggybacking off of the show we had last week when we talked about strong Black women. One of the things that we discovered during that show is that, you know, especially when women, um, we are good at raising our daughters, but nurturing our sons. And I just want to ask the panel, what do you think about that concept? Just you, hop in. It's, it's just a conversation. Just hop in. Okay, I got you. Go ahead, no, well, no, no, I, no, I, no, I, think, I think what it has to be is I think what we have to do is the nurturing has to be all the way around, because when we're dealing with opposite sex, we have to be careful that in how we're raising um, our young men, if it's women to men, if it's our, our brothers who are raising their daughters, we want to try to make sure that we're nurturing both, that they're well-rounded. Um, often we're trying to fix our young men for things or issues that we might have that or have had with their fathers or other men. I just say, if you're gonna nurture the child, nurture the child all the way around, make sure that it's 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 even so the child can be able and be ready to deal with whatever they're gonna deal with as they get older. You know, I, I wanna add all to right. that. I think that one of the important parts to that is making sure that you understand that there, I don't think that there's a true one way to do it as as keith mentioned um just as a you know as an uncle um even mentor in some of my um spaces if you will i found a lot of times that some people want to be helped in the capacity they want to be helped and loved so it's really understanding what their um for lack of better terms love language is you know how do they want to be loved how is it the you know is it playstation five things of that nature is it um, literally like hugs and embrace is it, you know, experiences, things of that nature. So just really understanding how they want to be um, loved and supported, no matter the whatever they're going through. I think that, you know, just kind of looking from a developmental perspective, um, mothers, right, th there's this thing called the Oedipus complex, right? So you're looking at the opposites attracting. So moms, they have their sons and then there's just something in that baby boy, right? That is just drawing them in. I don't know if it's because possibly, right? That it reminds them of dad. Um, I don't know what it is, but it, it, it's just this opposite attracting sort of thing. And so when we talk about, right, how mothers will raise their daughters and they love or nurture their sons, um, I think that we really need to define really what nurture is, right? Because that gets a little gray, a little hazy, um, because we can actually ruin an individual by thinking that we're loving on that individual. So that that's my thought. I, I just think that moms have this a, attraction to their sons and vice versa from that son to the mother. I agree with that, Leah. Um, I think sometimes we can, you said ruin, 
Um, I'll go as far as to say, uh, just be enablers uh, to our sons. And something else I, I think that we should do is just listen. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced, um, and you probably have, I, I just remember when having conversations with my grandmother, wasn't no talking. It was because I said so, and that was it. And um, I'm like, but grandma, you know, and I remember <laughs> just conversations we would have and, and there was no, we didn't get a chance to communicate a lot. It was just what she said, even if she was wrong. So I, I think that, um, yeah, I think we need to listen more to, to both sons and daughters. Well, I think, thank you. I think everybody is trying to figure out what to do with the black male. You got uh, mothers trying to figure out what to do with the sons. You got wives trying to figure out what to do with the husbands. You got uh, first ladies trying to figure out what to do with the pastors. I mean, <laughs> you just, I, we are a complex uh, feature. And uh, you think about it, um, a woman can be in the house and have three different dynamics going on at once. Situation with the son, with the husband, and a situation with her own father. That could actually be like a trifecta, like triple trauma, you know? And um, dealing with young ladies, uh, I'm, I'm often asked, why don't you add young ladies to um, what it is that you do for building a better man or what have you? And I just tell you, uh, I don't have any hair now. And if I dealt with y'all, I probably won't have no scalp. So I'm sticking to the brothers. That's it. Y'all difficult. Y'all difficult. Y'all Y'all difficult. I'm, just, I'm about to open up some. Come on now. You got to open up some. Y'all difficult. Let me duck real quick. Well, I, I, I well, want to say that the, the opinions of Otis Bellinger are not, are not held by all of the men on the panel. So let's just get that completely. All right. Now, I'm not co-signing that because my clientele is mostly women. I work directly with women between the ages of 35 and 70. Those are my target avatar because it's the way that I get to the men is through the women. Um, I have found mm -hmm. that in the 20 something years that I was in the New York City school system, and now that I am in uh, as a counselor now, it goes back to what uh, we were saying about uh, the Edelman complex is that men will get a room full of men and won't care what's wrong with them. Because of bravado and because of ego, they will literally be in pain and say nothing. But I have found that by working through the women, when the sister goes and says, you need to go talk to this man or you need to get some help to try to fix some things at home. And it actually goes with what Otis is saying. I don't want to deal with y'all ladies because y'all may call us to lose some hair. Well, that actually helps me because now the men will go to get help because they got to try to figure out how to deal with this lady. So if I'm already working with the ladies, that's an end to dealing with the men. And Brother Melody also said the three factors inside the home. But we can't get away from how we were raised um, until we 
we, we, we consciously make an effort to pivot from how we are raised. So the nurturing thing goes to, it's what sister, uh, and what is that? Vincina, and I want to say your name right. Is it Vincina? When you said the grandmother would say and be right or wrong. That's another thing, yes. too, is that we need to listen to our children. I tell parents all the time is that if you're not familiar with what's going on in music or what's going on today, listen to your child. You're old enough to be able to decipher if that's good or bad and then do something with it. But we definitely have to have that conversation so we understand what's going on. Wow. <laughs> Dr. B, I think you're on mute. I call myself muting you guys and muting myself out. Um, I just want to, for those that are out there, I just want to say thank you for joining us. This is Dr. B presents Raising Black Sons in 2021. Let's talk grown folk style. I have an awesome panel. If you know of anyone that needs to hear this talk, please take time to like and share this video so that they can be in on it. We do have a question from the audience panel. Um, one of the young ladies is stating, can you elaborate on loving a child and ruining them? Does anyone want to take that on? Hold on, can you repeat that? Can you elaborate on loving a child and ruining, ruining them? Well, I could say this. Um, if you love a child, you would then begin to understand that you have to discipline them. And the thing about it is that uh, I have a theory that, for instance, uh, I was speaking to a bunch of educators one time, and I said that I said there's one day during the year where a lot of criminal mindsets are developed, and that's on Christmas Day. Because on Christmas Day, a lot of kids around the country world is getting all kind of gifts. They're getting something for nothing. And I've been one that said in the past, oh, I'm not going to get you nothing for Christmas, and then end up getting this or that, whatever. So I've been guilty too. So I don't know if I'm alone on this panel, but what has happened is that when we reward, and Brother Bell and always talks to me about this, when we reward bad behavior, the question I have, is that really love? I'm a, I'm a, I'll jump in. You know what happens is we sometimes confuse love with being right. And that's what makes the tragic mistake. So to answer the, 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 the person's question, you can love your child to death. It don't mean you're doing what's right by them or for them. And some parents will use the fact that they love their child as an excuse to do exactly what's wrong and know it's wrong and will use the fact that they love the child as an excuse for why they're doing what's wrong. And so what happens is when you're raising a child up, you can love your child to death, but if you truly love them, you're going to discipline them. Um, the Lord says, you know, I, I get it, those I love the most. I'm going to get at you because I love you the most, because if I really care about you, then I'm going to discipline you because an undisciplined child is dangerous to everyone. So if you really love your child, 
you want what's best for them by making them well-rounded. And you will hear me say that a lot is because to well-round the child, you first have to guard yourself. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't teach what you were never exposed to. But you can actually go get it with your child and y'all can learn together. You can go learn it first and bring it back to your child. There's no excuses with all the information that is available to us now and all the resources. There are six resources that you're watching right now on this screen. So there's no excuse for you not to go out and be able to get assistance to be able to bring that back home to help your child become well-rounded so they can become a citizen that can actually produce something. Unfortunately, we're rewarding bad behavior. And then you want someone else to come in and clean it up. And then you want to say, well, I love them. That's why, what, you didn't do anything? No. When I was in school as a dean, some parents hated when I called. Because I'm going to say, come on up here, because you're going to get it too. Come on up here and let's have this conversation. Because my question to them would be, what do you want me to do? Here's your options. Now, I don't care if you love them or don't love them. Here's your options. They get suspended for 45 days or you do this. Now, we could talk about how much you love them, but in the end, they still got a role to play inside this building because this community needs them to be able to be focused. And I need your help because I can't do it once they leave this building. So love should be the motivation that gets you to want to do the best for them, even if it's uncomfortable. Because if you really love somebody, you'll be able to work them through whatever pain they suffer. But if you try to keep them from it, then you're actually harming them. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Belvin, I think I agree with that. Um, when I was sitting here and thinking about, you know, uh, the three facets that you talked about and even what the question was that came from the audience, um, love and ruining. Right. When I think of love, I think of facilitating a learning opportunity, right? Love teaches, it fosters responsibility, and it also allows for failure. But when we talk about ruining our kids, then that is us rescuing our children from being able to deal with any sorts of, you know, issues that they may come in contact with, right? And so it becomes an over-nurturing and a lack of balance. Um, Mr. Belvin, you spoke about like the rewarding of certain types of behaviors. Um, I often see with the families that I engage in with therapy that, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of times the rewarding comes along from um, a lens of guilt. It comes from the guilt that the parents have because of whatever may have happened in the past that has not been rectified. And so their knowledge of knowing that that child may have been present to have witnessed or viewed or maybe even not. But a lot of times the child's there that they're trying to overcompensate for whatever the pain was that's been facilitated in that family system. So, again, you know, to kind of center back in on that question, um, there's balance between love and ruining, right? You can go too far on one end, right, on the love spectrum, and you will totally destroy that child from being able to function as a productive citizen in society. And they'll forever look to you to be able to uh, make the, you know, the problems right. Agreed. I want to add to that point, and I think you all added some really got some meat off the bones with that. Um, one of the things I would definitely think is a value add is okay? Yes. Okay, I'm getting some background feedback. Um, 
one of the things that I often think is a issue, if you will, is that it's, it's about that balance, as you mentioned. Um, it's about knowing. So, for example, I have a nephew who is uh, he's on the cusp of 11 years old and I play a part in not only being his uncle, but also as his godfather. And uh, we were getting ready for school one morning and um, a couple of days prior, I told him, like, I don't care if I'm irresponsible. Just don't play with my watches. Whatever you do, don't play with my watches because that thing come from Jamaica. And that was a very, very important gift to me. And he played with the watch. He broke it. <laughs> and it was very, very traumatic because I love watches. And instead of scold him and, like, try to threaten to whoop him and all this other stuff, I knew that he broke it, but I don't think that he knew that I knew that he broke it. So I simply called him. I said, hey, can you pass me my watch off the dining room table? And he went to grab it. And I told him this is my favorite watch. So when he brought it to me, it instantly came out. <laughs> like, I didn't mean to break it. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I know you said don't touch it. Just went on this whole spill. And I could have been like, yeah, that's right. But I, I more so took the approach of like, you know what? I told you what's important to me. It's not that I'm mad at you for breaking the watch. I want you to understand I'm disappointed in you because you didn't respect what I told you. And you see there's a consequence. And it's, it's all it's that it's not brutal honesty, but it's making sure that you and that child knows that even if you apologize, that doesn't fix the broken plate, if you will. Like it's still going to be that scar. And it's showing them just kind of enforcing those lessons. And making sure it comes from a place of love. It's like, I'm doing this because I want you later down the line understand why this is the problem. I'm your parent. I'm your uncle. I'm your whoever. It may not come as a lashing from me, but there's going to be people in these streets that's not going to feel the same way about you breaking a whatever dollar watch. Um, so all that to say, you know, I, I'm strongly about balance. I'm strongly about making sure you know who you're dealing with, whose child you're dealing with. Maybe it's not your actual child. You probably know your child more than the next person, but you have to understand, one, how they learn and observe things and how they receive love, and that's the biggest thing. Great points, great points. So going back to the topic of raising our black sons in 2021, we all know that there are a lot, a lot of challenges out there. And 2020 showed us a lot of, you know, a lot of racism, just a lot of issues going on. Um, when you, when I asked you to, about coming on this show and I told you the topic was raising black sons in 2021, where did your mind immediately gravitate to as, as far as a major concern that definitely needs to be addressed. My mind went to the carceral system, juvenile justice, right? We see too many of our young black males that's locked up. Brilliant. Mr. Bellinger, he'll let you know, we used to work together at one of the high secure facilities here in Michigan um, in the Wayne you know, County area. And it was predominantly all young black men. And when I say brilliant, I mean brilliant from art, right, to uh, literary insight. Like, it, it didn't matter. Like, it ran the gamut, just brilliant young men. And so then it begged the question as to why are you here? What, what went wrong that allowed for you to be here away from your family, 
locked up like an animal, what happened? Right. Do we look at the home? Do we look at society? Do we look at community like we used to be where, you know, uh, if something popped off down the street, like the neighbor could snatch your hot tail up and get you straight. You went to church. You got your behind dealt with. All right, look, I'm still a clinician, so I'm going to keep it like PC. But, you know, we were a community. And so something is is awry. And so my mind immediately went to the faces of young black men looking through small boxes like this every night when I got to go home back to my family and they were still there in the cold crying without their parents. So that that's what really penetrated my heart when you asked. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, for me, when you asked, how do we replace the social that's been stolen? How do we how do we replace the social part? Because I see it in my daughter, um, and I know I deal with it with a lot of my former students who I spoke to. But how do you deal with the fact that now kids who are already having issues just trying to be them as young black boys and young black men? How do you deal with, with the removal of the certain social capacities that a lot of these kids need to keep themselves grounded and, and out of trouble? And then you're talking about a lot of them being stuck in the house with family members who don't know how to deal with them. And we've seen abuse and domestic violence go up all over the country. So I was worried about what do they do and you start to see it with the fact that a lot of them are gravitating to things that put them in line to get this virus. They're just partying, whatever, and they don't care. They're just going out. And, and to me, I worry about that because now you're talking about folks who already need us in certain capacities. Now not having access to the school for food, for activities, for mentorship or whatever. And now you're saying, get it all through the computer screen when we didn't even make sure before we went this route that the kids even had access to the computer screens. So now a lot of kids don't even have access to the computer screen. So they've completely severed from their mentors, from the teachers that they like, from the safety of a building that protects them from their community. I know what my classroom was. And I know when I was in the school system, my classroom was a haven. It was where you had breakfast when you were late to school. It was where you came if you were ready to go punch a teacher in the face, but I'd rather come sit with me, walk around and, and huff and puff before you did something that they put them handcuffs on you. But whatever it was, and when I became a dean, my office was the same thing. Come on. And I used to, and I had them get me a, a, a big soft couch. And when I asked them, this is Mr. B, why do you want a big soft couch? I said, the hardest thing in the world to be is angry on a big marshmallow. And they thought I was joking. When I would separate kids who were fighting and I bring them in the office and say, sit down and you fluff into this thing, you can't, what can you do? You can't even get up quick in a soft couch. You have to try to, especially if you're a big person, you got to try to roll off it. That automatically changes the, the, the focus of the anger, of the energy. Now you sitting there and you fluffed into this thing and now I can have a conversation with you. COVID has taken all that away. So when you first asked, the thing I thought about is how are we going to reach these kids now? How do we replace that? Something that I thought about um, was bullying. Um, I'll share a story. Uh, the 
I was in middle school. The last day of school, I was bullied in seventh grade. And out of nowhere, I don't know where this girl came from. Um, she hunted me down, never knew her, never seen her before in my life. And, you know, I'm the people person. Yeah, I'm the social butterfly. So I, I, I was confused and I, I thought I was going to get out of it by going to tell my girls, you know, hey, handle this right here because I'm getting threats from this girl. My friend to this day said, oh, no, Vincina, we we about to uh, we not going to get on the school bus and you about to fight this girl. <laughs> Scared me to death. Life uh, learnings uh, experiences. But the kids today they're killing themselves over bullying. You know, my friend made me stand up to this girl from the projects. And she said, oh, you're not going to get on the bus. You're getting ready to fight this girl. So the kids now, they're committing suicide. I mean, how does, how does, I mean, my grandson's six. How does a six-year-old know how to uh, look up and say, okay, I'm going to end my life? That, I, I can't fathom that. I don't understand. And I think, uh, I don't want to misquote something in the Bible, but something about the children being weaker or something like that. I forget how it goes, but yeah, I mean, they are, I mean, we had to fight now, you know, if somebody is bullying you, I'm going to go kill myself. So, you know, I, I, I worry about that. So with my, my grandchildren, I'm constantly trying to instill in them about just self-confidence and words of affirmation. And, you know, I, I just worry about that. Oh, that's what it is with each generation. They will be weaker. Yeah. I mean, they smart, but they kind of, you know, I don't want to say the word dumb, but yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, that's, you know, that's something I worry about a lot. It, you just, you know, you, they give into this pressure and it's so great that they, want to end their lives. And I think that's tragic. You know, one of the things that I immediately think of is, you know, when it comes to our youth right now is, and you guys kind of touched on them, I'll kind of intersect them. It's about the, the continuous wait school from home piece. Um, it takes away your social aspect. It, you know, introduces a different level of stress that I don't think any of us have really dealt with before about having to always work or school from home. Um, it's a whole different kind of construct where I know that, um, me and quite frankly, therapy bills are about to be through the roof because a lot more people I, I foresee are going to be looking for therapists and counselors, things of that nature, and, um, you know, different resources, things of that nature. So um, the one thing I think about is just like their social outlook on certain things with only thing you have is social media. It's the classroom stuff. It's the sometimes the stress on the teacher's face. Like I can't keep their attention. I can't keep them engaged. If we're in the classroom, I know some things, but I don't think our teachers have been prepared to deal with teaching their students and their youth online. So I think about the future of what teaching looks like. I think about the future of what, you know, social interaction looks like for all of us, not just our children, but in this specific focus, it's the social aspect and the educational divide that our children are going to face. When you mentioned teaching, Richard, that, you know, also brings me to 
not all educational systems are predominantly uh, black instructors in urban areas, right? And not all young black males attend urban school systems. Some may attend, right, charter, some may attend um, suburban, you know, sorts of spaces. And so um, when you start to look at the demographic of teachers over our children are white female, right? And so that can become quite difficult when we know that in society we're looked at as savage, especially the black male, right? And when they start to talk about with research and data that starting about the age of eight, they start looking at our young black boys as men. So let's say they start having a problem with a black man or the, the fear or stereotype threat that's been infused in their minds from very young ages and they deal with your eight-year-old baby and they see him as a man and not as a little boy that needs assistance, then now we start to begin to see the abuse in the classroom. We start to see that fast track of our babies, right, from the educational space over into, right, the carceral space. And I know I keep touching on that, but I mean, I don't know if we really understand just how, like, how dire this situation is because we have good young black men with great promise and they're being broken in school, in school. And so, you know, we, we have a huge problem on our hands. Um, and I think that, you know, some more advocacy from us, from parents, you know, we need to build them up to make them feel more strong um, and able to articulate their thoughts and their pain when their children come home, making them, you know, aware of what these systems look like. The EI classrooms, I call those the holding cells or the tanks. Right. Right. Before they start getting locked up, they're going to write your baby an IEP. Right. And that IEP is going to get them into a special ed classroom instead of them really working along with that child. They're trying to shift them off because they don't want to deal with their behavior because they're afraid of them. So, you know, we, we definitely got an issue on our hands with the educational system and our sons. Lee, you're you're. You're, a, I'm sorry, Lee. You're 100% correct because I once got written up because I didn't suspend a child and I spent an extra 10 minutes counseling when he had gotten to an altercation with a teacher, verbal altercation. And then upon research, the teacher started it. Let's just say it that way. And when I said I went to the kids to get my information, I was criticized by fellow colleagues. Well, why would you take the kid's side over the teacher? I said, I didn't. I took the side of righteousness because I'm a man of God. And I put them in a position where they couldn't argue with that. But I took the right up. It's not a problem. I don't have a problem with that. But you're 100% right that the systems, the school systems are railroading our kids into the prison systems because there's an economic piece. We know that. But also it's the lack of oversight on parents. I parents, my hands are tied to the school and untied. And what I meant by that is just come up and act a fool. Come up and make demands because then I have something to act on. So it's not me trying to go around the union contract, which a lot of teachers hide behind. Let's keep it real. 
But when a parent comes up and says, I demand to see how you're teaching my child. Now I got something to work with. Now I can push administrations. Now I can push other teachers. Why did you create that lesson plan? How do you assess um, these children? Now, one of the things that I did, I got a master's degree in curriculum writing assessment and teaching because I went and figured out how to teach teachers how to teach our children. Our, teach, our children learn differently because they're exposed to things differently. I'll give you an example. I remember I was doing one of the standardized tests for eighth grade, transitional year, by the way. The kid said, Mr. B, can I ask you a question about this exam? I said, I can't speak to you about the exam, but what's your question? And it said, Yao Yao Ma is famous what? I know that. But if I ask most black folks, they don't know that Yao Yao Ma is a famous cellist. And when we used to argue that these exams are not are culturally biased, well, they eventually changed it with the SAT. But if you're not going to change it on the lesser levels, you are setting kids up to fail because now here's the problem. Yes, he probably got that question wrong. But where is this child going to come in connection to Yaya Ma? And what I showed them is I used to teach health education, physical education. The reason why I stayed away from the major subjects, because my mentor who was a former Black Panther used to say, teach the complementary subjects because then we can work around some of the set curriculums that they have for children of color. OK, fine. But I used to teach English and math in the summertime when a lot of the restraints were over and then I could really get into some work. So in my English class, I used to use hip hop music to look at constructive language. And then I would connect it to Shakespeare and some other things like that. So one of the things I said to one of the English teachers, she tried to challenge me on why are you teaching this? I said, I teach them how to drive the hoopty first. Then I give them the keys to the Bentley. So then I explained to her, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, who's better? Eminem and I forget who the other rapper I, I compared. She said, I wouldn't know. I said, these kids know. And if you can show them constructive language in that format, you've now excited their ability to learn. And then you ease Eminem and whatever rapper off the table. Now give them Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare, anything that you want, because now they have the framework for what it is that you're asking them to go and get. But if you don't show me that, you didn't prepare me for what you're asking me to do. So you set me up to fail because you put a person in the classroom with me who didn't understand me. You asked me to do work that I've never seen. And then you blame me for failing. And then you say, OK, the only other place you can go is a job that can't pay my bills or, or locked up. And then when you actually put a teacher of color in front of them to say, I'm from the same project. I'm from South Jamaica, Queens and 40 Project, one of the worst projects in New York. But I'm in front of you with four degrees. So am I an anomaly? or what I could be if you actually gave some of these kids a chance. That's the problem. We have to make the connection that they're connected and stop allowing them to shove our kids in one direction. And that can't happen unless parents come up and push back, even if you don't understand what's happening say, well, explain it to me. Because if I got a child in the fourth grade, you should be as a teacher, be able to explain to me what you taught my child on a fourth grade level that I can understand. It. And if they can't, then say, I don't want my kid in that class. Simple as that. I don't want this teacher around my child. Force the educational system hands. Parents have more power in a public school system than they realize because they actually try to convince black parents that they don't. And the teachers who are inside the system don't speak up enough because they're worried about their job. Why is always threatening to fire me? Go ahead and fire me. I'd love to be in front of the news cameras explaining that a black man got fired trying to help black children and they didn't want me to teach them. Come on, fire me. I love it. Let's go. 
Wow, thanks for that, Keith. Otis, do you have anything to add? What went through your mind when I first asked you about this topic? I mean, I know that you are a genuine person. I know that your heart is always in the right place. And, you know, I get asked to come on a lot of different things and what have you. So I just, I would much rather be involved with substance as opposed to symbolism. And you've always been a substantial person. So uh, I came on it because you asked me. I mean, you know, because I believe in what you're doing and I've, I've seen your body of work, you know. And um, plus I wanted y'all, you know, I, listen, it was a little cold outside and I wanted y'all to tease me a little bit. I mean, I I figured I was going to get some stuff. So, you know, the only thing I forgot was the matching hat. But besides that, we good. Good job. Please go get the matching hat. Please. <laughs> the next episode, part two, he can wear the hat. Well, you know, I asked all of you to come on because, you know, I, I always have these like brain infusions around three o'clock in the morning. Vincina's like my five o'clock person. She needs to wake up just a little bit earlier. But I always had these things go through my, my mind like at three in the morning. And it was one of those mornings, like three in the morning. I'm like, wait a minute, I have three sons. My sons are, you know, 22 and 33 and 35. And then I'm raising four, you know, I have four grandsons. And I'm looking at the news, which I try not to watch that often. I really try not to watch it because it's straight up depressing and I'm like but you know how do I you know how do you know because whenever I'm watching the news because I have two sons that live on the east side of Detroit and when the news comes on and you have a shooting or something I immediately reach for the phone where you at how you doing and why should I have to live like that why should I have to live like that and then I'm lucky because I have a husband that I've been married to for 30 years and he's been in my son's lives since, since what, 33 years. So they, they've had the two-parent home and they have the strong father, but everyone doesn't have that, that foundation, that structure. And so I know I have a lot of um, single women in my life that are trying to raise sons and, you know, and they try their best. But at the end of the day, we're women. We don't know what you guys go through. And so I wanted to have this show to share with them, like, okay, these are some of the things that are affecting our black sons. And for you guys to provide some tips and some insight, because I know like some things that come up, it's like, you know, how do, you know, how do I, when I'm talking to my son, you know, how do I talk to him about racism? How do I talk to him about dealing with the police? How do I talk to him about, you know, having a relationship with a woman? How do I talk to him about making sure education is a priority? How do I talk to him about making sure that he's managing money, that he's thinking about credit, that, you know, if he's having some type of situation where he's possibly getting abused as a man, how do you, you know, as a boy, how do you let someone know? You know, if there's violence, you know, the violence, you know, kids, I, I, I feel, you know, and people say I ran away and I really don't care. I just felt that I was being safer, but I'm out here in Farmington Hills and I'm not hearing the police cars, but when, you know, but I know that my grandkids are living in the city where they can't, you know, it's scary for them to even walk to the corner store. That was, that was a treat when I was growing up to walk to the corner store. You were doing something. Now it can be a death sentence. 
So I just wanted to make sure I wanted to bring that up, you know, let's talk grown folk style because people need to hear this. And women, I, I love I love us to death, but we cannot we, we cannot be the, the mama and the daddy. We can't. And I know that someone, because I had put out a question earlier asking people to drop a question if they felt they weren't able to um, bring it up. And one of the questions was, as women, why do we overprotect our sons when there are men trying to step in and provide a male presence? So if you guys could help me out with that. Okay. Um, well, I'm going I'm to go back and, and we're going to talk about like the police stuff. The one thing that I explain to a lot of mothers, since I deal with a lot of mothers, arm yourself with as much knowledge as possible and teach them restraint. You cannot fight the situation there on the street. Learn how to one, calm yourself down. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to treat you badly. You can't stop that. Then your goal is to get home. And then once you get home, we can then try to figure out what we're going to do. So the first thing is knowledge yourself about the laws. Shut your mouth. But that comes with teaching patience. If you're stopped by a policeman and you know you did nothing, close your mouth. Let the officer do what they're going to do. They're going to arrest you and know what questions to ask. If you're underage, can you get my parents? Is your camera on? And then shut your mouth. Don't say nothing else. Because a, a, a policeman's job, if he's doing it wrong anyway, he's not worried about the rules. So your job is to protect yourself and not give him an excuse to be able to hide behind the very rules that he's breaking. Become knowledgeable. Sit and learn that with your children. Go through that. Just because you don't know now is not an excuse for you not to know tomorrow. You start learning now. You and your child sit and learn it. Let your child see that you're as ignorant to some of the things that you're trying to show them. So we're going to learn this together. We, sadly, this is not the smartest decade of children that we have. And that's sad because this is where the greatest amount of information has ever been available to people of color. So there's no more excuses of not knowing. So if you really want to protect your children, that's the first thing. Also, when dealing with men of color, know which men need to be around your children. Do a better job at vetting who you bring into your life around your children. I'm tired of reading stories of the boyfriend molested this one, molested that one, or killed everybody. So I always say date for a year, because over a year, you get to see all the birthdays, anniversaries, and everything else before you bring this person around your child. Because, and if there's an opportunity for you to repair things with the, the child's father, okay, y'all two had a bad relationship. I'm happily divorced, and I'm happily remarried. But my ex, we, didn't, we still don't really talk to each other, but she never stopped me from being whatever to my sons because she understood the role I played in their lives and I wasn't gonna allow her to remove that. Men also have to learn how to buck up and close their mouth and be like, honey, can we just work on these kids and just deal with the kids? Because most mothers out there would love for the man just to step up and go, I wanna take care of my kids. They don't have to be anything to them, just be whatever for your kids. Men start to think that if I can't be with her, then I don't wanna be with the kids, that's stupid. Be whatever you need to be for your kids and make sure she feels comfortable with that. You know what? She's good with that. The problem is some of us, when we do that, we want to sneak back over and try to knock down moms at the same time. No. Take care of your kids because the kids have to know, one, that they're protected. Two, that somebody's listening to them. And we can't do that if we didn't teach them how to be able to set the platform before we get there. Often we're, we're on defense before we get there. Well, your son did this. 
Your son did that, so this is why the police did that. Just close your mouth. If you got a camera, turn it on, but not if it's in your pocket. Role play that inside the house. You can do that where it's safe. You can say, if you're walking and I'm an officer and I walk up on you, what, what are you going to do? And he reaches for his pocket, don't ever do that. And when you do it where it's safe, and if you do it enough, it's like, why do you think we have fire drills in school? And the kids used to ask me, B, are we really going to do this during a fire? We're going to walk out like this? No, but if we go through it enough, you'll know where to run to. So some things we actually have to prepare our kids by not making excuses of what we don't have and fight for the things that we need to know. And then the rest you pray for and ask God to cover them every time they leave the house and every time they come back. As my grandmother did for me. You know, I, I think back to my childhood and I think about the fact of my parents. My parents dealt a lot with addiction. They dealt a lot with drugs and alcohol. Um, but one of the things I can say remain consistent is how much they valued my life and my future, regardless of their addiction. Now, granted, I don't know what y'all define as perfect, but that wasn't it. <laughs> but I've I seen the admiration that my dad had for my mother. I've seen where my mom was like, not so much. You crazy. And, you know, I've seen situations where they literally fought. And so... I remember, and this may be a very, very off-topic story, but I remember a day when my father was getting high, and he had mentioned that um, he was like, son, I'm about to get high, <laughs> quite frankly. I don't know what time I'm get up tomorrow, but I know you got to take the bus to school. So if I'm not up when you get up for school, my coat, my, my pants pockets hanging on this hook, take what you need, do what you got to do, do what you got to do for yourself. And it was one of the most awkward interactions I think I've had with my dad when he was alive. But what I later found out is that, you know, parents can only do what they know and what they practice. And and, and Keith, to your point, you know, there there is the situation awareness of knowing how to interact with police, how to, you know, fire drills in school, things of that nature, and real life's gonna come at you no matter what it is. I, I think part of that is making sure that your child understands like, hey, listen, life ain't going to be perfect. <laughs> life for me ain't been no crystal stair. I think that was the poem, if you will, or that was the phrase in the poem. But the, you're, you're going to have situations that are uncomfortable. You're going to have moments that are just difficult, things of that nature. But it's understanding where to find that assistance and help at. That's going to make you into the well-rounded child and eventually that adult. Um, you know, some people may not be as, and this is no knock when I say this, some people aren't fortunate enough to be able to get out of the hood and go to Farmington Hills. I spent the year there and I was just like, nah, <laughs> this ain't it. You know, they got problems out here too. They might not be the same problems. They got problems. But it's learning how to be where you are, navigate those spaces, and you know, at, at the end of the day, if nothing, all else fails, like, like, like Keith, you know this on the head, God ain't never let me down. <laughs> I'm still here because of him. So, you know, if it wasn't for him, I don't think we'd be having this discussion. So, you know, if you don't believe in the higher power, I get it. It's not for everybody. But I know that for me, my family, things of that nature, even if you don't go to church every Sunday, 
typically it's a phrase or a quote that I always have to reference back to the Bible. And that's sometimes what even got me through as a you know young man growing up. Yeah, I think the tough part, Dr. B, when we look at this, um, and Vecina, you kind of touched on it earlier, right, about the generation of children and how weak they are. Um, super smart, savvy, I mean, on point a lot of times, right? But many of them with this weakness, that's their emotional weakness right? So much is going on in their lives. Like our children are carrying weight, like mad weight. And I'm not talking about drugs, right? I'm talking about stress um, at very early ages. And with that, many of our kids, honestly, and sadly, they don't care about dying. They don't care, right? So you can talk to them till you blue in the face. And there are many that will look you right back in your face and say, look here, but I don't want to be here. I don't care. You're not living my life. You don't understand what's going on. And again, we're talking about the single parent, right? The, the one that doesn't have the man in the home. Um, and even when you find mentors, right? If that mentor is not available, like readily available, almost every single day to be able to influence and make a significant impact on that child's outlook on their future, you still may find out that that young man, right, is going to struggle. So I, I would just encourage um, single mothers to identify, again, as Mr. Belvin said, you don't want just any and every guy in their life. Right. But if you have, let's say, some family members that are trustworthy family members, because all family ain't you shouldn't be around your kid either. Um, but find someone that, you know, that's an upstanding individual that, you know, will be willing to take out a significant amount of their time. Um, a lot of times it may not be a family man because they should be pouring into their family system and they're going to have the demands of their right wife on them, the demands of their children. And so there be that tug and pull, but find someone because that child is going to need someone to strive with them for the long haul. Can't be a, a one hit wonder, can't be. Yeah, I, I think, Lee, I think you just hit on something that I didn't think about until you said it. When you said the uncle being pulled to try to do in one place and then trying to help out and it made me quickly think of when we say it takes a village, it can't be one member of the village. It has to be multiple folks doing what they can for the time that they can. I, when I would, when, and I still do, even though I'm not teaching now, I'm in therapy now. One of the things I explain to parents is if you add up all of the hours of a regular school week, if you place your child with the greatest teacher that that school has to offer, that comes out to a day and a quarter, because it's only six hours a day. Put it all together, that's 30 hours a week. That is one day and a quarter. The other five and three quarters, that child is somewhere else. That child is with parents, that child is wherever. And what we have to do is, whatever your village is, and to the single mothers, and I have this conversation, like I said, I, I pretty much work with women extensively. 
you have to try to extend your village as far as you can, as far as you can control and take the help when it comes, but don't take any help. If there's a program that you can get them into, okay, he don't wear Jordans. Well, buy the Harachis, they're less. After a while, they'll tease him for a week, and then if he can play some ball or he can do something, they'll accept him. But do whatever you got to do to get him in the hands of the people who have proven situations that that child could be in. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care if it's arts. I don't care what it is. Get that child in something so a couple of hours they're near or around or up under somebody who can pour into them. That's one thing. The next thing is climb into the arena yourself. Read at the table with your child. Play the video game with your child. Listen to some of the music that your child is listening to. Explain to them why this is what y'all listening to. Yes, and don't sit here and try to say today's music is nasty because I'll go get you some Red Fox, some some, and, and we can go back and, and keep naming them. I don't care. Some of those 1920s and 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and the 70s, come on, stop, with some of the nastiest songs ever created. Okay? So, and, and I'll name, look, look, if you think I'm joking, go look at um, Gladys Knight and the Pip. One of Gladys's songs is she's actually professing being the greatest side chick on the world. So just stop it. And the thing is, if that's what they're listening to, okay. Your job is to climb into it so when you're watching it, you can say, but you, I can show you that Cardi B is hurting. I can show you that Cardi B is torn. What do you mean, Pop? Well, look at this. She's singing WAP. But look at how she's worried about how people think how she looks. So what do you think that does? Talk about Meg Thee Stallion going to college and get a degree. How come nobody talks about that, but they only talk about the nastiness? Now, should she make the nasty music? That's a debate. But the idea is look at the quality of the positives that she's doing. And then you say to your child, I prefer that you don't shake your behind like that. Or to the boys, do you want your woman out there talking about I got that walk? Or do you want somebody that's actually trying to make it work? But if you don't climb into it with them to understand what they're listening to, what they're watching, you can't curve it. You can't use it. Sometimes the greatest, the greatest defense is using the momentum of the person coming at you and just guide them. I used to tell teachers that all the time. I'm a big guy. I'm not trying to grab no child and hurt him. Sometimes I let a kid just rush at me and I brush him off to the side. And their own momentum causes them to trip over and fall. I ain't got to put my hands on you. And as a parent, and especially if you got young black boys, you only have seven years, eight years now because of social media. You haven't reached your child by seven or eight. Some of those nasty behaviors you're going to take the next 10 years trying to get rid of. Don't let your child sit here and play Call of Duty. And you have no idea what Call of Duty is, but you bought the game. And they're killing everything moving. And then you wonder why they're out in the street wanting to find a gun? Or you buy Grand Theft Auto and you've never played it and don't realize that you can simulate rape in some of these games. And then you wonder why they're out here asking the girl to take off her clothes? Or if your child is sat here and watched every Meg Thee Stallion video, every Cardi B video, and then you wonder why he's telling his little girlfriend you got that WAP and you think it's cute, that's on you. We got to use the things that the devil smiles at us with and turn it around and say, but wait a minute, is that what, do you see your mom like that? And if your mom is like that, well, it's time to make some changes. The idea is that we have the power of shaping the mind if we climb in and decide to do that. The problem is we keep passing it off to other people. The young black boy is the most dangerous thing on this planet. Because we've seen what happens when a, a black boy is focused. They're already scared of him physically. 
So they'll do anything to keep him from being intellectual. How many times I've heard people say, oh, my God, you talk white. What does that mean? You fell for that? No, I don't talk white. I went to school. I'm supposed to speak. Well, that's not a compliment. How dare you? But when they want to compliment me on my, my daughter speaking, well, she's supposed to speak well. Her mother speaks well. Stop that foolishness. But I can tell you that I wrote a book called From Gigolo to Jesus. And I put all my dirt in it. I put it all out there. All the babies, all the abortions, all the miscarriages. I start off my conversations. How y'all doing? I'm a former whore. Now you take it any way you want to take it. You know why? My wife is in the next room and she wrote the forward to the book and she know about all of that. Why she's still with me. Because each time she caught me cheating, you know what? She could see a little bit of growth and then she made the decision. Either it's me and it's me or God or the whores in the street. Make a choice. I never had a woman put it down to me like that. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to leave these hoes in the street alone. I'm going to try to see what this marriage thing is going to be about. And then when I got married, I never cheated. So I tell folks, you can judge what I was the first 37 years, or you can judge what I've been since I said I do. Either way, I don't care. Because if you read your Bible and you have no problem reading Paul, who murdered Christians, murdered men, women, and children, but you read those 19 epistles of the 26 and you have no problem with it, don't come at me with nothing. So we have to climb in to save our children by putting ourselves at risk by dealing with the things we're uncomfortable with. And if we can get the mothers to do that, now you can hold the men that want to talk to you accountable. Boaz had to see Ruth working before he got with her. He had to see her hitting the fields and go, yo, she out here at night putting in that work. You know what? I think, yo, I think she's pretty good. But what we don't talk about is Naomi pouring into her saying, this is what a woman's supposed to do. Don't be out there shaking your butt. Get that food. We got to eat. And the combination of an older woman pouring into a younger woman and a man looking at her for what she does and not for what she looks like combined to what? Restoring the grandmother because now they had a child and now everybody want to be Ruth and everybody want to be Boaz. But no one pays attention to what they were actually being shown when they read those scriptures. That's what we got to do if we want to fix a lot of this. That's true. You know, you're talking about church a lot. Um we need to get back to that. When I was going, when we were younger, we were in church all day, and not not this new church. Not not uh, uh we finna go over here to uh, the church for an hour. Mm -mm. Listen, we knew if we went over my grandmother's house, y'all bring y'all stuff, bring y'all stuff, and we knew if we got in trouble, we was gonna get a whooping too. But we still went over there. I, I don't understand that. We knew if we we knew that every Sunday, bring your church stuff because you go on to church. If you sick, you go on to church. And it wasn't like I said, it wasn't an hour. We were in church. Let me see. We went to Sunday school, and then it was the service. And I think sometimes we we did something <laughs> after because I don't. I, I promise y'all, it seemed like we was at church with my grandma for about eight hours. Just you all hate yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and they right, 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 and got food, man. Please, they don't. I mean, where is that? We don't, we don't have that. So, you know, I, you know, I think we missing some, some church in the, in the foundation. Vincent, I don't want to go to church all day. We gonna have to work something out. We gonna have to balance that out. I'm not. That brings back. That just triggers some trauma for me right there. I'm, yeah, I know. And we snuck off and snuck. Look, we and snuck off and, and, and went to the corner store and got the, the pickles in the uh bag and came back and, and slid right in the queue and hope and hope grandma didn't know we, we was in church all listen, we was in church all day. 
No, I just wanted to add though, Vincina, that kind of makes me think about, you know, what the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Not that they won't depart when they're young, <laughs> right? They go yeah. run off because it's something that they don't necessarily want to do, but the foundation go. is being built in. And so that is the key. That's the critical point is get in that knowledge early on in their formative years. And so when they find themselves, right, 37, 38, whatever it may be, 50, 60 years on down the road, if the Lord spares their life, then it will come back to them. So I agree wholeheartedly. I think we just have to we have to switch it. I just think we have to switch it. Let social media like we had horse and buggy. We don't have horse and buggy now. I think we have to switch it. And I think the one place that I think the church has missed the mark is the kid who's struggling in certain neighborhoods may not know what's offered at the church. I want to see less in the building and I want to see more out amongst people. And this is where social media is key. If the devil is using social media, then those who believe in Christ should be using it as well. And I think what we have to do is we have to start linking up with our brothers and sisters who do not believe in the faith and give them reason to link with us and understand that it is not about me promoting the faith to you. It is about me acting on the faith, which drives me, which then opens up the door for you to come and say, well, what gives you that energy? Well, I'm a man of God, so this is what I do. And then if they want to know more, well, then I can fish to them as we out here doing what we got to do. I think what we've gotten away from is we've made it more about church itself than what the focus of church was supposed to be. And that was what Jesus was out amongst the, about the people. And I think in all of the faiths, it is about the service to people that we've gotten away from because a sister should not have to struggle if she is a member of a strong church, because there should be people that's already there for to support her. And we've lost some of that. And we can reclaim that by what we're doing right here, right now. This is church if some people want to look at it that way. And there's no reason why with all the technology that we have that a sister can at any time of the day or night be able to come into a forum like this and say, can I get some help? And then we do that. What's happening is we're holding on to old ways. The old ways don't pass away. They just have to be reinvented. We're not out here riding horse and buggy anymore. We're riding very nice cars. Okay, does that mean the techniques that went into keeping the horse healthy, the cart well, that we needed to have grain to be able to feed the horse? Well, what is grain? Grain would be gas. And we we, we, we do the things that we have to then say, what did that look like then to how does that look like now? And then how, keyword, how do we then turn that into something that our sons are protected so they can go protect their sisters? But if we don't have enough folks, like I'm a real teacher and Lord knows I don't had a lot of churches get mad at me when I come in and I, in the past, is kind of like, I don't want that crazy man in my church. It's okay. You bring me in, this is what you're going to get. Because my second master's degree is in human service counseling, specializing in Christian ministry. I just act like a fool half the time. But once you give me the mic, you're in trouble. Because the thing is, we're not actually teaching in church. We're preaching. Well, read Ephesians. There's five ministries. How come you don't hear nobody say they're a teacher? Now, I'm telling you, I am. We got enough disciples running around here. Lord knows too many prophets, evangelists, and we got disciples and pastors. Okay, so we got pastors, disciples, evangelists, and prophets. We got them all running around here. But we ain't got none of them screaming they teaching. Well, if I can't show you how, keyword, how, 
to use these scriptures to be able to save your life, your child's life, or your family's life, then what is all that preaching, discipling, and all that other stuff doing? We have to come back out into the world, get amongst people, and say, now, sister, if you hungry, we got a way to feed you. If your son's out of pocket, we got a couple of men who can call. But the sister then has to allow that. They're the gatekeepers. Parents are still the gatekeepers. And we have to offer it so a person knows it. You can't offer it if you're waiting for me to walk through the doors of your church. You got to come out to me. Do you know I have this available? And I say this to every church I go to. Does the chick who just got out of a car turn to trick know that your church is there for her? Does the kid who's getting abused, who's now trying to figure out a way to get past the gang members and not get stabbed, does he know that there's four, five, six men at the church that'll help him? How is he supposed to know? How does he know that there's a hot meal or clothes for him at the church? How does he know? So if we're sitting there with the doors wide open, going, come on in and eat. We serving chicken every Tuesday. How does the homeless cat who's struggling know that the food is there for him? Well, if you don't go out to him and let him know, you can get a hot meal. Here's yours. And there's more where that came from. How do we get them? So I agree with you. We got to get back to some old fashioned things to save these boys because the system is evolving so fast that our boys are gravitating it faster than we can come up with ideas to save them. That's on us because those of us that know, and I know Brother Bellinger's not here because he's doing it, but there's at least six of us here. And then whoever's, and we always say, and everybody in the, in the, in the, in the word of my voice, if you can hear my voice, well, that's what we got to start doing. Just simply start within your own circles. Don't worry about the world. Just start in your house and then on your block and in your community, your state. And all of a sudden, you know what? I need to go check him out. I need to go check her out. Now we can start to save some of these kids. So I'm with you on that. You know, you, know, you added some, some really good words to that, brother. One of the things I'll definitely say that, um, just to add a piece, if you will. I know that when I was younger, I, I, I remember. I remember being younger and, you know, God rest his soul. My grandmother was the, one of the mothers of the church. You know, that was the queen of the piano and led the choir, things of that nature. And it wasn't that she, quote unquote, forced me to be in church. And I, I hear all what y'all saying. And I think we're saying it the same way. It wasn't that if you were, quote unquote, forced to be in church all Sunday. You were around it enough to learn something from it. And even now in my adult life, I'm like, let me carry some of this with me because I'm going to need it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Lord knows I'm going to need it by Thursday just to get me to Friday. And by Friday, I'm like, whoo, I'm chilling Saturday. I'm acting the fool. And then Sunday, let me get back right, get ready for the week. And I say that to say this, while, while that component is definitely missing, I think that my, my great-grandfather would always tell me this as well. Everything comes in moderation. And it's making sure that you have a delicate balance. There is, you know, <laughs> I'm, a go, I'm not going against what you said, K.O., but there's, there's nothing wrong with listening to all different types of music because I think that's what make, makes the world unique and what makes the world what it is today. It's understanding the balance. Like, you can't just be like, I'm going to engulf myself in the Cardi B's and the Megan's and the all the things of that nature. There's great music that aren't them, you know what I'm saying? But they make great music as well. It's just some of it just be like, too far, too far. <laughs> Everything in moderation, I think, is the overarching message. And it's, it's nothing wrong with that. But in addition to that, I think it's that even if you go to church, 
Um, even if you get a perfect score on your exams, even if you, you know, get a win on the Nike app and get those Jordans or get that PlayStation 5, there's something you're going to come up short on. And I think it's letting your black son know, like, hey, this is the way that I think I'm absolutely a bomb, but I come up short too. We're, we're going to have our flaws. We're going to have our moments where we don't get it right. And this is how we encounter those moments and persevere through those moments. And there's a lot of great teaching, I think, in the Bible and from church with that. I can't quote the scriptures, but I'm pretty sure they're out there because I remember reading them at least once in my life. But it's understanding that one, everything is going to come in balance. And then two, when you fall short of glory, how, what's going to be your reaction? How are you going to bounce back from that? And I think we, if we as a community embrace that more than, you know, shaming them, like, why did you do this? Why did you do that? If you kind of embrace that sense of community, let them know, like, hey, you're going to do well and you're going you're gonna to have some messed up moments and that's how the world goes. I think we'll have a more confident youth. I'm, I'm very confident in our young black boys coming up. It's just more so with the health pandemic that they we're in and with the racial pandemic that we've been in for decades. Um, it's a little, it's a little turbulent right now, but you know, it, it's the reason that <laughs> while, while I think slavery was definitely imposed against us, it's the reason we came over here. We had to show the world that we're resilient no matter where we go. So. Wow. Great, great discussion. I can't believe we've been on here almost an hour and 15 minutes, but a great, great discussion. Um, just before we go, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, I don't, I, we talked about racism, we talked about police, talked about, definitely talked a lot about education, um, made sure we put the church in there, talked about abuse and violence, but how do we talk to the young male about dealing with the opposite sex and about money management? I know that those are some issues that were brought to my attention that people had. And also while we're on it, um, the men, the young boys or the young men with, you know, the hugging and the kissing, do you hug and you kiss on your, on your, on your sons? And why do we tell them not to cry? So if we could just touch on those three things before we tune off. I'm sorry. Yes, I know I it's kind of like, They don't like to be kissed, and I still kiss them on their forehead. Come here, you ain't too good to get kissed. But um, I think when it comes to the women, I think we have to be very, very careful um, that we're not allowing our own biases and our own pain seep into how we raise our sons if it's the women. And if it's the men, again, we have to be careful that we're not trying to raise emotionless automatons where they just... I've heard a lot of men say, don't cry. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Don't do not do that. You, you're setting them up for a bad situation to not be able to deal with his emotional side. And actually, some of the greatest talents in the world is because they're able to tap into their emotions. Did you never listen to Lenny Williams when he was? Lenny Williams wrote a seven-minute R&B song, seven minutes and 35 seconds of him just talking about how much he loved a particular woman. So we, we don't want to suppress that. But I'll give you an example why we have to be very careful. A woman walks down the street with her son and sees a, a, a sister half naked at one o'clock in the afternoon. The woman goes to her son, turns to him, looks at him and says, don't you ever bring home nobody like that to my house and I'll kill you. And the son smiles at her and goes, no problem, mommy. I'll never date a woman like that. But yet he's still peeking at her. The father walks down the same block with that same child, sees that same woman. He goes, she look good, right? And the kid is grinning. That's not the one you want because she shouldn't be out here at one o'clock. Now, here's what happened. 
The mother saw what she saw, and she saw what she did not want her son to be with, and that's okay. The father acknowledged what he was feeling about what he saw, but then said, no, you don't want that, and here's why. Two people can see the same thing and see two different, totally, totally different things. The reason why we need to have that male influence is because he can allow a younger male to look at a female in a totally different way than a, a way a female may attempt to try to teach the young man simply because I can teach you from feelings inside. I can tell you what that feels like emotionally, sexually, spiritually, everything. And you once you remove that, what you risk is that the child to please you will acknowledge and say, no problem, mom, but you didn't address that that looked good to him. You didn't address that 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 felt something about what I saw. I almost saw a breast. And, and that's exciting to me because you made it seem so negative. You got to go home. And, and if there is no male, the, the sister has to go home and say, how did you feel about what you saw? And be honest with me. You can say it. Because a lot of times we don't want to get embarrassed. Who wants to talk to their mom about the sexual feelings that's going on, especially when you get to pre-adolescence and you start to get to the teenage years? You ain't trying to talk about an erection to your mom. But but my mom was a nurse and my grandmother was a nurse. And my mother went and got the PDR, opened it up and said, you put your mouth on some of these little girls. This is what could happen to your mouth. And I was like, ooh. And then she said, are you having sex? And I was like, OK, I'm going to tell the truth. OK, I had no choice. But my mother was cutting through all of that because... And I. <laughs> I'll tell you this, and y'all can laugh at me all you want. When my mother found out that I was having sex at 13, I had started when I was 12. She said, oh, you out here having sex? Okay, let's go. She marched me over to the pharmacy, and she said, if you're going to have sex, you're going to go back, you're going to wear condoms. I had no idea what a condom was. She said, now go back and ask that man for condoms. And that's when condoms was in the back, way up high, and you had to embarrass yourself to try to get some. But okay. I asked the guy, I said, can I get, and I'm mumbling, can I get some condoms? And the guy said, which one? But of course, I'm young and stupid. I thought he said, which size? I was like, a uh, small? <laughs> he said, small? Everybody in the area that was waiting on their medication started laughing at me. I could hear my mom bellowing from the front, and I'm shaking. And the man said, well, let me see if I can find some small condoms. And I'm like, why he keep yelling? And he pulls the condoms from out this little case. He said, here you go, young man. And I'm like, and I'm shook up and I'm emotional. And my mom is in tears and I still don't know what's going on. So I paid for him. And as we were walking home, she said, you know why everybody was laughing at your stupid? And of course, she's ghetto. So you know what else followed that? And we got home. She said, here's why everybody was really laughing at you. One, you didn't know what the hell you was doing. Ain't no size. Ain't no small. But you didn't know that. And she said, if you don't know that, then how are you out here having sex and you can't protect yourself? Now, again, I was young. I didn't listen. I didn't listen because I just didn't hear. She meant well, but I didn't hear because why? I had a child at 14 or 15, I think 14 and a half. So I'm 53 and my oldest is 37 going on 38. Yeah, I was that dude. I wrote in my book. For 37 years, I lived my life my way. The last 15, last 16, I lived it a whole different way. So that's why when I sit and talk with kids, I'm real with them. So when you want to help young boys understand young ladies, first, you got to understand what the young man feels about the opposite sex. Some of these boys are being pushed into sex because other boys said, did you get some yet? And they don't know what they're doing because they're trying to appease other folks. And the little girls are worse because they don't want to be left out either. So they're letting a the boy do whatever. And if we're not having these conversations on both sides, then we actually don't put up a hedge around them to know that you don't have to be sex. That being a virgin is cool. 
when I talk about the number of women I've been with, it's some ridiculous numbers, 300, 400, some nastiness like that. When I go talk to young folks, you know why I tell them the exact number? People go, yo, B, you was getting them cheeks. No, that's 400 something women that now know what my wife is getting. And I'm not happy with that. But I deal with it. And what you need to do is when, and I said, and the funny thing is, if you two came to the table as virgins, do you know what the next 20 or 30 years could be? It'd take you 20, 30 years before you got bored with sex. That two minutes would be fantastic because you wouldn't have nothing to compare it to. It'd take you 10, 15, 20 years to realize it could last five, six, seven, eight, 10, 15, 20 minutes. The problem we have now is that we're suffering from comparison. You've been doing it so long as a teenager that he doesn't match up to the dude I used to mess with in college, so he might be a great dude. We got to start teaching kids about their feelings and what they actually need to be looking for. We can't do that if we don't offset what they're already being exploded with. So I'm with you, Richard, when you mentioned about all the various things that we need to show kids everything. We do. But we then have to attach it to something that they can feel great about. That being a virgin is super cool. I say that in my health class. Being a virgin is super cool. You know what that means? Nobody's touched it. Nobody's been with you. But when I tell a guy, I said, yo, do you know what being a virgin is? Do you know there's some women out there, if you tell them you're a virgin, they'd be like, really? I don't know. I ain't never had, I ain't never did nothing. There's some women that'd be like, really? But again, we have to have that conversation and be comfortable with it. We got parents that are scared to talk about sex. Why are you going to talk about being with the opposite sex when you scared to death to talk about it and you're an adult? So what do the kids turn to? Each other, videos, YouTube, pornography, and some of these cartoons that are pornography just wrapped up in animation. So the it always starts at home. You catch your son touching and stuff, don't beat him. Don't tell him that's nasty. Have a conversation with him. And if you're not comfortable, then call someone like me. Mr. B, what, what do I do? Well, first tell him that masturbation is something that's normal, but you got to decide as a Christian if that's something that you're going to rock with in your home. Have that conversation. But we're scared. And that's what happens with these relationships. You see, and ladies, don't act like I'm telling something strange. How many grown men have talked to you and they scared to death? They flipping off more lights when trying to get close to you. Like, grown man, what's going on? They don't want you to look at their bodies. These grown men, where they get that from? Well, I think a lot of it comes from, you know, the media and imagery. Like you said, you know, it's not conversations that's being had in the home. It's researching because the body is going to speak to you, right? Ain't nobody to tell you nothing. Somebody fine. Like your body is going to start to have some feelings and you like, oh, shoot, what is this? <laughs> so you don't have to even worry about all of that. But a couple of things I was thinking about, Dr. Boucher, about the sexuality piece of it, um, I think that we have to model it looks like, right? We like to talk a lot to our children about you know, the do's, the don'ts, the birds, the bees, whatever it is. But our example of what a healthy relationship is just not present. It's not before them. And so kids will, you know, actually watch. We know this, right? They watch everything that we do. And they might not tell you that they've seen what we've been doing, but they definitely are watching. So we need to make certain 
um, that we are forwarding a healthy model of what relationship truly looks like. And then, Mr. B, I'm going <laughs> to pick with you just a little bit. I'm coming from the woman. Here we go. When we're talking about healthy relationships, right? Using language. Language is so important as to whether or not a man will respect a woman. So when we say, you know, yo, dog, I hit that. You hit what? <laughs> right? What is that? And so now you're making the woman, right, out to being more so of an object that can be, you know, eroticized, romantic, whatever it is. She's objectified in that moment. And that's the disconnect that we find that happens in relationships. So when we say, hey, do you want to say I do? What am I saying I do too? An object? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, is the female able to go over there and get her a little toy and be like, I do. Uh, what you going to get out of this? Not a whole lot. <laughs> right? And so I think that language is very important when we're training our young men and how to be respectable um, in just how they talk amongst one another. Remember my dad before he passed, he used to be like, Leah, that locker room conversation ain't no joke. And I'm like, daddy, what you talking about? I'm still a little younger. I don't know nothing. Very ain't never touched nothing. Ain't had nothing, whatever. He like, look at here. Let me tell you what the fellas say behind closed doors. When they, men, they <laughs> they got some more than women do. They they talk about you like a dog. But the question is, is what does that conversation look like and who's facilitating how it really should go? So I think we do. We need to be very, very mindful of the language that's utilized as women and men alike. Had to pick what you Mr. B. <laughs> All right, Richard or Mr. Go ahead, Richard. It's hard to follow up heavy hitters like y'all. Um, very hard to follow up, but I'm, I'm going to try. Um, two of the things I think of, and this is where these, this kind of me, I know you addressed two different things when it comes to, you know, young boys, you know, kind of going to adolescence and, you know, worried about sex, things of that nature and getting to know women. But also in terms of, and you said, you guys said it a little bit earlier when it comes to trying to impress people being worried about what other people's think, other people's perceptions about you, things of that nature, whether you demand or not. That whole demand complex is one of the things that we got to find a way to nix that or make that into something different. Um, sometimes a person is looked at as how broke they are or how much money they're making. This is where I'm going to kind of tie the two things together. Um, a lot of people may or may not follow this, but um, I, my wife and I have looked into this thing called Financial Peace University by Dave Ramsey. And he talks about, you know, financial education, getting your finances together, how to live like no one else so you can live and give like no one else later. And I mentioned that is because one of the uh, values that he talks about is we got to be comfortable with not trying to buy things just to impress other people. It's, it's, it's kind of that same mindset when it comes to your finances, because, you know, everyone, I don't care who you are, how much money you got, we have few bad events from being on the street asking for a quarter. Um, but it's being comfortable with managing the most minute money, things of that nature. It's being comfortable with not being the most attractive guy in the room, you know, not needing to prove your macho, prove your manhood to anybody, not how much money you got, things of that nature. 
and learning how to be confident in that. Um, and I think that life in time will humble you and teach you that lesson. And it looks different for every single person. But I know that for me, that I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't the cool kid. I was the kid with the big nose and the fat belly. I, was, I kind of still am. And one of the things I had to do was grow confident and knowing who I am as a person, what I value, things of that nature. It's, it's okay with being a version up until you're about 17, 18 years old. That's just what's going to happen to some people. Um, it's all about what you experience. And everybody's not going to have a million dollars. But how can you have that million dollar attitude? And I think that will go well into your finances. No matter if you have a million dollars or not, how you make it look good. How, <laughs> your sweater may cost 30 bucks. Let's be real. It may not cost 130 bucks. So how to look like, you know, not look like what you've been through, but also that million dollar attitude. And I think that if you can grasp that concept, then I think overall, you know, you'll, you'll go into a future where, you know, you're not really worried about what other people say about what's your body count, right? Or your, what's your bank account looks like. Then say enough. Hey, listen, um, we have to keep touched on it. Leah touched on it. We have to get involved when it comes to the opposite sex. And I don't want to say share experiences, but just um, I, I'd say provide knowledge. I say that because I remember when I, I, I got my period. My mom gave me a book, man. She gave me a book, and I don't know if that's because, mm, I'm not sure. I, I think that my grandmother probably did not t uh, really touch on it either because, you know, just coming from the South and, you know, you got the, uh, the eight kids, and I'm not sure what my great-grandmother taught her, so it probably wasn't too much. But, um, yeah, she gave me a book. So I always wanted, I always wanted that uh, cool mom. And she wasn't really like that. So <laughs> I, I had the cool auntie, but I didn't have the mom that was just, you know, like you said, just sitting there kicking it and talking about it. You know, and I, you know, I, she did the best she did, could, but she gave me a book. So I'm saying all that to say is that I, I talk to my boys a lot. And sometimes I think it's too much because sometimes I hear TMI. I'm like, oh, my God, I really don't want to know that. But I'm like, whoo, you know, they telling me this and, you know, I come in and it's condoms out and that's good. But you just you just have to uh, you really you, you got to talk to the kids and just uh, communicate with them, because like you said, they're going to get it from uh, their peers or on YouTube or just somewhere. So and I, I think I've done a pretty good job about that because some of the stuff I hear, I'll be like, oh, my God, I don't want to hear it. But, you know, they tell me so. You, you've got to get active and, and communicate with your kids, especially about the opposite sex. All right. Goodness. I, again, I, I still can't believe it's been an hour and a half. What, what were you about to say, Keith? No, I was going to ask you, could I just say something? Because I think I want anybody listening to really understand what Leah was saying. And I don't take it as a knock. I think it's necessary. And I'm so glad that she said it because she mentioned at the very beginning, I'm gonna come from a therapeutic side and I, and I love that because you hit on something without knowing it that is very dear to me. And the use of language, and, and this is why I put in the chat, code switching, and I wanted anybody to listen to 
understand that we have to be able to code switch on certain situations to be able to get kids from one point to another and then switch it again to be able to get their parents to understand what that looks like. And, and so when Leah mentioned it to it, no, I don't take a knock to it because there's always something that could be learned if I don't know it. And then when she reiterated it, I love it because one of the things that I do is I will speak their language to get their attention and then code switch it to now be able to bring it to a point that they can get it. And I think that's something that we have to learn. And I think if, if folks listen to what all of you are saying, and I think Richard hit on some big things too, is that when you come from where you are, that's the only place that you can come, but you can add to it. But it's what's the conversation that's being had and how are those words being used because they are very powerful. And, and I just, and I'm so glad that Leah mentioned that because that's something that we really don't know how to separate the locker room talk. And, and that's one of the things for me is that I always created a haven for kids to come because some kids are not gonna give it to you in the circle. It's when they come to you later, but they knew you left the door open for them. And did you allow that door to be open and how you split? Because if a kid doesn't think your heart is in it or they, they can't sense the emotion, they close up and you might only have one shot, maybe two. And if they now rule you as somebody they can't talk to, they're passing that on to other kids. And now you are no longer a resource to other children. You have to keep that door open. And I think it was so very critical. And I don't, whoever's watching, please understand what you say, how you say it to a child could be the difference of that child going in one direction or another. So Leah, thank you so much for saying that. No, I don't take offense to it because that's the anchor of a lot that I do. So thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sorry, Dr. B. That's, that's all right. I mean, a great, great discussion. Again, I cannot believe it's been an hour and a half. For those that have uh, that are just tuning in or for those that are catching the replay, this is Dr. B um, raising our Black Sons in 2021. Let's talk grown folks style. Got an awesome, awesome panel here. If you're catching the replay, um, thank you. Make sure that you like and share this post because there's a, there was a lot of gems dropped here today. A lot of gems that people really need to take with them. So as we wrap up, I just want to go do a round robin around the room. Again, just um, share who you are, how they can get in contact with you and drop one last nugget for the audience. Guys can start anywhere. I'll jump in. Uh, listen, I'll come out on the dance floor. That's my style. Um, I am Keith K.L. Belvin, crisis specialist and author. I am the owner of Braven Publishing and the owner of Braven Consultants. And so you can reach me at www.bravinconsultants.com, bravenconsultants.com, or just look for me. I'm on all social media sites. Just look for Keith K.L. Belvin. You'll find me. Reach out and we can talk. I, I want to leave anybody listening this. Do something. It's no longer... It's no longer acceptable to sit back and do nothing. To save lives, you have to be willing to risk life. Because where the pain is and the problem is and the devil sits, we got to be willing to go there and bring the light that the, the Lord gives us with us. And if we do that, then we can be the light for a lot of kids and a lot of young men who just don't believe that there's any light for them out there. So I'll leave with that. Mm. 
I'll jump in as well. Um, typically, when people go out in two step, I'm like, all right, the music playing, I'll go too. Um, you can find me on all social media platforms: um, Instagram, RL Winfrey, uh, Facebook, Richard, my last name here on the screen as well. Um, for our podcast, um, it is www.mentalmatterspod.com. We're on all social media platforms as well, and you can stream us on SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, the whole nine yards. Um, one of the things, and it's from this is a proverb from from my sister Solange. I, I love her music, things of that nature. On one of the tracks, one of her latest album, it says, "Do nothing without intention." And I think that if you follow that with your everyday life, that there is nothing you can't do, no matter if you fall short of the glory or if you exceeded more than you thought you were going to knock it out of the park. Um, do absolutely nothing in your life without intention. Hey, it's um, a follow-up on that. This is a Vincina Person, and I am a self-love coach. And you can find me at www.vincinaperson.com. And it's Vincina Person on all social media platforms. And what I want to just leave us with is uh, just be open to communication. Um, like I said, you don't want your uh, any of your children going to um, unreliable sources and, uh, you know, it should start at home. And a lot of times with some of the conversations, we will um, listen to respond instead of just listening just to, to listen. So just, you know, be there to um, listen to your kids. All right. I guess I'll bring up the rear. Um, again, my name is Leah Mills Chapman. Um, I am also known as the mental reconstructionist. You can kind of see that up on the screen there. Um, again, I'm a clinical therapist and a mental health coach. I have my own private practice and it is Intervene LLC, spelled a little, you know, funky, just a little bit, capital N, T-E-R-V-E-N-E dot com is the website and you can definitely find all of my contact information there including all social media um, platforms and so what i would probably close with is before you can look at healing what's been broken in your son's life you may want to first heal the child within and I think that when that is done, you can then be able to see even more clearly what you might be missing in your son's life and your daughters. I know we're talking about just our sons, but just our children at large. Um, you'll find that you'll be able to connect and to build healthy attachment. And that way you can pour into them to the point where they'll be willing to listen. And so I'll end with that, Dr. B. Thanks again. This was awesome. Oh, well, I, you know, I, again, thank you to each and every one of you. For those that are out there, again, this is Dr. B, Raising Black Sons in 2021, Let's Talk Grown Folk Style. You know, I created this forum, Let's Talk Grown Folk Style, to talk about those topics that are usually considered taboo, things that people need to talk about but don't want to talk about. I'm that risk taker. I don't mind. I'll bring it on. All of my contact information is scrolling at the bottom of the screen. If you have a hot topic out there that, again, that you feel that no one wants to talk about drop it in my lap i'll make it happen um so thank you to each and every one of you for those that are brave enough for those of you that have real phones 
iPhones. You can join me and Richard and Leah tomorrow night on Clubhouse at 6.30. And we're also bringing on Keon Clinton. Sorry, we're bringing on Keon Clinton to join the stage with us. We will be in Doctor. We'll be in my clubhouse, Doctor B. Let's talk grown folk style. So again, for those of you with real phones, you might even have an iPad sitting around somewhere. Join us on Clubhouse tomorrow night at six thirty in Doctor B's Let's Talk Grown Folk Style room. I'll see each and every one of you again. If you're catching the replay, thank you so much. Type replay in the comments when you watch it. Like and share this with someone. Believe me, they can benefit. To each and every one of you on the stage, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for dealing with me in my three o'clock moments. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye-bye. Good night. God bless, guys. Have a good night. <laughs> night